Hey guys, how you doing? Uh, my name's Drew Hansen. I uh, probably know most of you. I'm not gonna try to pretend like I don't. Um, if if you if if you don't, um, and you just moved here uh, or whatever happened, you just decided to come here to Whiting and go to church. Um, I grew up here. Um, I lived here all my life. Uh, came to church here, all that kind of stuff. Um, we, my wife and I just moved back to town uh, <clears throat> this fall. Uh, we're planning on starting a church in Sioux City this, this upcoming fall. So we're really excited about that. Look out for Rally Point Church in Sioux City. Um, we're really excited about what God's doing in Sioux City, and uh, we want to we be a part of that. Um, and, you know, like I said, to some of you guys' surprise, I actually did find someone that would marry me. And we got married here at this church, surprisingly, and you guys let us do that. And um, um, <clears throat> we have three uh, little kids. We've got two little girls, Ridley and Sparrow, and a three-week-old named Waylon. He's, he's our boy. And I know what you're thinking. Let's just get it out of the way. You know, Ridley is kind of the, the weird name. It's the first, the first kid, so... You can you kind of give yourself that one, okay? Sparrow, you know, we understand that when she gets older, she's going to be like, you know, you named me after, like, the least important bird of all time. Like, why? You could have named me Eagle or something. It would have been better. And Waylon's like, Dad, you named me after the least talented of the four highwaymen. If you don't get that joke, you're not country enough. Go back to Chicago or whatever. So I love this place. I want to say thank you. Like this, this place has been awesome to me, and I love coming back here. Love Whiting. Uh, I want to share a story before we get started. I always think when I walk in these doors, I always think about it. Um, when I was growing up, behind this wall was a classroom or a library. You guys remember that? Um, and uh, I don't know what it is now, but there used to be like a junior high Sunday school back there. And you know, we're in like sixth and seventh grade. Sunday school is the last thing on our mind, right? And I, I, like, no one was forcing me to go to church. I don't know why I was going if I didn't like it that much. But anyways, uh, I sat back here and, uh, with a couple of my buddies, and we were really honorary. I feel really bad for the Sunday school teacher. And we get back here, and, you know, it's the middle of semester, and nobody really wants to sit in here. And so, you know, we're kind of enduring the life of Christ spiel, you know, like, all right, get on with a lady. We want to get out and mess around, you know. And so um, finally, one day we had it, and we came up with this genius idea that we were going to go in before our teacher got there. We were going to turn the clock 10 minutes fast. So when she gets in, she'll think she's 10 minutes late, and then we'll get out 10 minutes early. <laughs> well, we did. And before you knew it, we were like raiding the fridge, throwing basketballs around the gym, slamming doors everywhere. Everybody's like, this, these kids, what, what's going on? What happened? Did they like tie up the teacher and kill her? What's going on? He's gone. And I remember uh, it came back to bite us because she made us sit up front and everybody knew that we had done something wrong then. And uh, it was shameful. And then the worst part of it was the rest of the semester, we had to wait 10 minutes after. So, man, yeah, killed us. Oh, man, yeah. Anyways, so our little big word of the day is until, until. Until is defined as up until a point of time, right? Uh, and there's a, there's a point in time that Scripture talks about, right? Uh, until what? This, what's the big one? Until 
Christ returns, until Jesus comes back. And to be honest with you, when Mike assigned me this word, all I could think about was uh, one of the dumbest movies of all time. Is that where you want to be when Jesus comes back, making fun of little old Joe Dirt? Man, that's all, all that played in my head. And I remember in sixth grade, I went out to Neboa. I got baptized, decided to give my life to Christ. And, um, you know, my house growing up, now it's better. But we, you know, we didn't really talk about the second coming of Christ in my household. So, um, you know, they, I give my life to Christ and I come home. And for like two months, one of two things would happen. I'd wake up in the middle of the night. And in my, in, the, in, in, in my bedroom, there's a window, and outside the window, uh, our neighbors had a lamp post, and it would always like grow, glow bright orange. So I'd wake up in the middle of the night, and this orange light would be shining, and I'm like, oh my gosh, everything's on fire. Jesus is here. <laughs> like, I knew it. That's what's happening. Or I'd wake up, go to my parents' room, and say, okay, my parents are at least here. And I'd go downstairs, and I'd look out the window, wait for somebody to drive by. I'm like, okay, okay. Well, someone drove by, so I'm not the only person Jesus left. <laughs> T- terrible theology, I know, but um, that's, that's a you know, life of a sixth grader, I guess. And so it's just one of those things that people taught me uh, you know, about Jesus and about him coming back, but they never really communicated what I should be doing up until that point, how I should behave, how I should act, how I, what I should learn about. Uh, up until he came. And so before we dive into this, let's look at, let's look at some ways how not to live. I think this is important. Um, and it's not what you think. Um, it's, let's look at the first one, how not to live. The first thing is, let's not sit on our hands and wait. Let's not sit on our hands and wait until the, the Lord comes. I don't believe that waiting in the Bible is this idle word. Uh, look at Matt, check out Matthew 25. Let's read this together. It's almost like a man going off on an extended trip. He called his servants together and delegated responsibilities. And to one, he gave $5,000. To, to another, he gave 2000 And to a third, he gave 1000 depending on their abilities. Then he left right off. The first servant went to work and doubled his master's investment. The second did the same. But the man with the single thousand dug a hole and carefully buried it and uh, buried his master's money. After a long absence, the master of those three servants came back and settled up with them. And the, the one given the $5,000, what did he do? He, he doubled that investment. Uh, he's a great guy. The, the, the second one did the same. But what happened to the third guy? He was, he was a little bit different. He, he didn't. Um, uh, his master com- commended the first two. The servant with the 2,000 showed up, and uh, he had doubled it too. And he said, good work, good job, job well done. Uh, you can be my partner. And the third guy that gave the 1,000 said, Master, I know you have high standards, and I know that you hate careless ways and that you demand the best and make no allowances for error. And I was afraid that I might disappoint you. So I found a good hiding place, and I secured your money. And here it is, and it's safe and sound to the last cent. The master was furious. That's a terrible way to live. It's, it's criminal to live cautiously like that, he says. If, if you knew I was after the best, why, didn't you do, why did you do less than the least? The least, could have at least, uh, the least you could have done would have been to invest the sum with the bankers, where at least I could have gotten a little interest. 
So this last dude, what do you do? He played it safe. It's really easy for us to do this, is play it safe until Jesus returns. Like protect ourselves from every, anything that could ever harm us or hurt us. The best way to look at life is, is, is this, and I try to do this all the time, is nothing is mine. My gifts, my abilities, my money, everything is God's. It's God's. So sitting and waiting and trying to protect our perfectness or whatever we want to think we're doing by waiting should just go by the wayside because it's only hurting us. It's when people look at us, what do they see when we're just waiting? Number two, this is a big one. This is what we shouldn't do is try to calculate Christ's return. I, th- I think we're just uh, only hurting ourselves. Um, but it's the one that I guarantee you if Mike got up here and said, hey, what do you want me to preach on next week? Revelation. I want to hear about that. And it's, it is interesting. It's mysterious, but I think that it's supposed to be a mystery. So, you know, I can't imagine what if we actually knew when Christ was going to return. Because I guarantee you, I guarantee I would, or I would have, um, not been like, you know, it's going to be 15,000 days. I'm going to cross these off, and I'm just going to remain the best possible person ever. That's not how it works, right? Let's be honest. We'd be like, okay, Jesus, come back then. All right. I've got up until that week to do whatever I want and then repent, and then I'll be good, right? I would do whatever I want. It's like um, my parents left one time. We were in, in junior high again, and they left. And I was in, like, eighth grade, and they, just, they were smart. They got me a babysitter. And um, <clears throat> we, we left, they left, and it's like any kid. Like, okay, well, I don't have to pick up after myself. I can throw stuff around. I can mess with stuff. I can leave stuff out. It doesn't matter. And so that's what we did, except for uh, we, like, trashed the place. And I remember one of the things we did was uh, poor Joel Palmquist. That's who they hired to, to have stay with us. And uh, we ended up antiquing him. Do you know what that means? So we would, like, t- get the flower out and hold handfuls of flour, and then we'd tap him on the shoulder, and he'd turn around, and we'd, like, pummel him right in the face. And it'd just get everywhere. It was all over everything. And, that, and that's kind of like how we would probably behave if we knew when Jesus was coming, like, okay, I'm going to lay this all out, and then I'm going to have it cleaned up by the time he gets back. That is exactly how we do it. And I don't think that that's the healthiest way to look at it, because it's a lot easier to just leave the house clean. It's a lot easier to just not mess with it. And we don't have to worry about the, the mess afterwards. And it's like, it's like us. We'd be trashing the place and, and then know that our parents are going to be back, and, or not know when our parents are going to be back. So, you know, we'd wait for the full moon or, you know, the neighbor's lights glowing. The parents are coming home again. I've got I to behave. It's, it's, it's just much easier just to leave it alone. You guys know this verse probably really well then. 1 Thessalonians 5.2, For you know quite well that the day of the Lord's return will come unexpectedly like a... Yeah, we don't... You, you, do you expect when a thief is going to come in and rob you? I don't, I don't really think so. So... Um, Let's, let's look at this deeper. Let's look at some of these steps that we can take until Jesus comes back. Um, and I'm going to be honest with you, this isn't an exhaustive list, but it's the start. And some of these things won't seem like the most glamorous or even probably the most spiritual. Um, but it also lays the groundwork for us to really um, show people who God is and really connect with God. And uh, some of us, you know, this is the thing. We We've grown up and we might know a lot about God and we orbit around Jesus, but we've never really taken those first steps to actually living life with him. And maybe one of these steps will hit home for you. You can just kind of slide into just living that way. 
um, and start, start living this Christian life. Maybe that's what it's going to take. And like I said, there's far more spiritual, far more popular things to talk about. But I think when we do these, the, when we take these steps, um, they define us as Christians. So the first one is be a credible human being. That's like novel idea, right? Um, when we're credible people, who does the credit go to then? It goes to God. Be a credible person. Be a credible individual. It's almost like there's a disconnect, though, sometimes. I know I've done it. Like, we get in these four walls, and we think one way about God and about who we are and how we, what we're supposed to do. And then when we leave this building, all of a sudden it becomes about us, and, and we internalize everything and what's best for us and what's best, not what's best for God. So as Christians, this is a good reminder. When you do business, do fair business. Not just what's best for, for you, what's going to make you the most money. Do fair business. People respect that. When they see that, uh, they'll know that you're a Christian. When you say, to an extent, when you say you'll do something, do it. Actually care when you ask somebody how they're doing. When you say you'll, you'll be there for somebody, be there. Don't make excuses. When you open your mouth about somebody, let it be good things. Be above reproach. Live responsibly. Live humbly. Live drama-free. Because Peter says this. He says, people are watching you. Outside people that don't really know Jesus or maybe have questions about Jesus, they're watching us, and they're going to see how, how we behave and how we act and how we do business and how we think and how we talk. And, and they're going to form an opinion about who Christians are as a whole, maybe by their interactions with us. That's scary sometimes. Look at 1 Peter 2.12. He says, Friends, this world is not your home, so don't make yourself cozy in it. Don't indulge your ego at the expense of your soul. Live an exemplary life among the natives so that your actions will refute their prejudices. Then they'll be won over to God's side and be there to join the celebration when he arrives. What I love about this is, is what Peter's saying is like, Be normal. We don't have to, like, shove Jesus down everybody's throats every second. Like, just be normal. And guess what? People might, like, you know, be normal, be a good person, and maybe people will ask you about Jesus because you're being credible, being a credible person. Um, he goes on and says, Make the master proud of you by being good citizens. Respect authority, whatever their level. Their God, I had a real problem with that growing up, as you can tell with the Sunday school thing. Um, whatever their level, they're God's emissaries for keeping order. It is God's will that by doing good, you might cure the ignorance of fools who think you're a danger to society. Exercise your freedom by serving God, not by breaking the rules. Treat everyone you meet with dignity. Love your spiritual family. Revere God. Respect the government. And sometimes that's really hard for us. Sometimes that's really hard for us because we get so upset and angry about what society is doing out there that we just need to get our Twitter fingers on and tell the world how we feel about President Trump, about North Korea, about all these other problems that are going on in the world. And we feel like we need to state our opinion on Facebook so that everybody can see it. What does that do? For me, it just personally creates divisiveness, I think. You're not winning people over doing that. I, I, I really, truly don't. So 
when, when I don't make myself cozy in it. I'm, I'm on Facebook. I'm in that world. I understand the culture. I'm there, but I'm not, like, telling everybody how to do Facebook. You get what I'm saying? I, th- I think that, um, you know, when, when, when we can just be relatable, that helps. And so um, I think that this exemplary life that, that Peter is talking about isn't about what we're just not doing, but, you know, actually being credible with the things we are doing until Christ's return. You know, because when Peter's writing, this isn't like just like kumbaya time, you know. <laughs> these guys are getting persecuted. Uh, they had every right to just, you know, want to stand up and say, hey, what about us? What about what's going on in our life? Are you ever going to treat us the same as the rest of the people? Are you, know, are you ever going to give credit to our, our, our God? What are you going to do? They didn't have that. So it was easy. It was, might have been even easier for them to say, hey, what about us? And they, they didn't. Look at 1 Thessalonians 4.11. Check this out. It says, make it your goal to live a quiet life, minding your own business and working with your hands. Just as we instructed you before, then people who are not believers will respect the way you live. First of all, my dad would say, Drew, don't work with your hands. You break everything. So don't. Um, but what does it mean to live this quiet life? What does it mean? You know, I think the first idea we have in our head is that, you know, we need to be this meek, mild person, live this quiet life, don't disrupt everything. I don't think that's it. I think that uh, what, I, what I really read into this is we shouldn't have chaos and controversy surrounding our lives all the time. People shouldn't be stressed out by our constant drama. It's kind of like this. I was, I was sitting at Starbucks the other day working on my computer, and these two college-aged girls sit down next to me. They were psych majors, I found out. I'd never had a conversation. I was just listening. And uh, <clears throat> so they're sitting there, and they're like, yeah, I think she's got, like, multiple personality disorder, and she's got all these issues, and, you know, maybe that just comes from depression. And I'm like, what is going on with you guys? Like, I don't understand all this drama that you're already caught up in. And they're like, yeah, maybe you should, you know, go talk to your psych professor because they probably have more, you know, they probably understand a little bit more about what's going on. She's like, oh, yeah, I'll probably do that. And I'll probably go talk to a psychologist. I'm like, the first thing in my mind is like, that's so much drama. There's so many other people being dragged into this dumb stuff. Why don't you go talk to her? That's crazy. Could you imagine just talking to the person that you thought had a problem? Unbelievable. <laughs> Man, and what was the best part about that conversation is that um, they had like a long pause of like 10 seconds. You know, they just sat there and s- <laughs> stared off, you know. And uh, it was like an eternity for them. You could just see it. They were like cringing, like this is so awkward. I'm sitting here in silence. I'm not on my phone. Anyways, uh, the, one of the girls looks at the other turns and says, sometimes I wonder if I'm crazy. <laughs> uh, what? What? This makes no sense. Why, why even talk about anybody else if you think you're crazy? Like, that's just a whole nother drama. Like, this, you could have written a script about this. It was ridiculous. And I think that, you know, <clears throat> we've got to be able to, to, to not do that, to live a quiet life. Let, why does, you know, maybe your, new, your name doesn't need to end up in the newspaper all the time. That kind of life. Live a quiet life. People don't need the drama. And, and when people look at you and see that drama, they're like, I don't want any part of that. Why would I be a Christian? Why would I want to live 
like Christ until he came back or until I die, when all it is is drama, when all it is is people talking about other people like that, when there's people's names in the newspaper like that, why would I want to do that? People don't come to Christ because of that. They come because they need Jesus, and they want to see Jesus in you. Man, second step. Pray until something happens. This is, this, this is maybe, <clears throat> maybe you're reluctant about God. Maybe you haven't you turned God off for a while. You haven't talked to him. Um, but just check this out. Just check this scripture out. It's Luke 18. It says, One day Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. There was a judge in a certain city, he said, who neither feared God nor cared about people. A widow of that city came to him repeatedly, repeatedly saying, Give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. The judge ignored her for a while, but he finally gave in to himself. I don't fear God or care about people, but this woman is driving me crazy. I'm going to see that, th- that she gets justice because she's wearing me out with her constant requests. Then, then the Lord said, learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Even he rendered a just decision in the end, so don't you think God will surely give justice to, to the chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will grant justice to, to them quickly when the Son of Man returns. How many uh, will he find on earth who have faith? So this, this judge, he wasn't a nice guy. He wasn't a fair guy. Um, nobody real, there's nothing really likable about him. Uh, he couldn't have cared less about God or, or anyone but himself, right? And normally he would have been totally unhelpful to anyone, but, and he wasn't really concerned about it. He wasn't going to do anything about it. Um, and, you know, he had no faith in God, so he had no, like, an, no other reason to really help this woman. But this widow persisted. She was willing to go further to get what she wanted uh, wanted from the judge, and, and uh, you know he wasn't gonna, she wasn't going to let him deny her, and she won. And Jesus says, listen to what the unjust says. What does he say? That in spite of his own decision to do nothing for her, he would act on her behalf so that, so that he would not have to deal with her anymore. She wore him out with her coming to him, and she, she wore him out some more if she would have if she needed to. According to Jesus, this is how we should pray. Pray in something, until something happens. Don't give up. And this is the best part. God's not like us who get wore out about it. God's not like the judge. He isn't like that. He's gracious and he's loving and he created us and he cares about us and he wants to hear from us. And he listens to us. And that's the best part. He hears from us. So if we know that, we've got to go to him persistently. It's like my daughter, my three-year-old. Dad. Peanut butter sandwich. Dad, peanut butter sandwich. Dad, 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 dad. I'm just like, okay, finally, yes, peanut butter sandwich. We'll get it to you. I understand. And, and God's not even like that. God's patient and he's listening. He's like, I understand. I know you want the peanut butter sandwich, but I've got a chocolate cake coming later. Just wait. Just wait. You know, that's the thing. When we pray, it may not be, be what we want, but it's what we need. You know, when we pray to God, it's not like rubbing a magic lamp. You know, we don't get this genie. It's not like ordering, we're not ordering God around. It's not a guarantee that when we pray, things are going to go our way. And it's not a chance for us to show how spiritual 
what we are when we pray. It's like talking to my dad. This is like favorite verse in the Bible. It's like, when you pray, don't babble. He's like, yeah, let's get this. You know, we mean business when we pray. It's hilarious. Anyways, um, you know, I look back now at my prayer life, and like 10 years ago, maybe you guys felt the same way. Like, if I would have gotten what I prayed for 10 years ago, I'd be dead, or it'd be, life would be a nightmare. Like, God knows what's best for us, and he wants to hear from us, so go to him. And, you know, when we pray for something to happen, it may not be the exact thing, but God might steer us in the right direction to what he actually wants for us. We're not always right. We're not always right. We don't always know what's best for ourselves, and God does. So when we pray, it allows us to, to get that out to him and, and just move us in those right directions. And it helps us get on board with what God's already doing, because he speaks to us as well. Number three, step three, make life count. Make it count. This has been like a personal commitment for me. Like since moving here, it's like, don't waste your life, Drew. Don't turn around and say, I wish I could have done this, done this, done this, or I wish I would have done this better. Like just actually do it. Just actually do it. It's, it's been one of those things for me. And maybe it's like, you know, we can talk about, um, doing things you've never done before and experience things that you've never experienced or not wasting your life that way. But like, for me, it's not been those kind of encounters that have shaped this don't waste your life, make life count thing for me. It's been um, more of like, if, if you don't make life count, you're not just wasting your time and your life, but you're also wasting the next generation because, Drew, you've got three little kids that depend on you to teach them what it's like to love Jesus and love other people. And we've got to do that. And so don't waste your life, Drew, just sitting idly by while society raises your kids, while the government does it for you. Don't do that. Make life count. Make it count because it doesn't just count like up until death or when up until Jesus comes back, it, it counts later. So love your family. Look at Proverbs 22.6. Direct your children onto the right path, and when they're older, they won't leave it. That was like my biggest fear when I had kids. I don't know about you. It's like, man, I don't want to end up like that. Like preacher's kids, they're all running around town doing crazy stuff. It's like, man... I just pray that that doesn't happen. I know it's in them because they have me in them. And like, don't, like, don't do it, please. Like, please. Um, look at 1 Timothy 5.8. But those who won't care for their relatives, especially those in their own household, have denied the true faith. Such people are worse than believers. So back then, even people who didn't care about God believed in supporting destitute people, destitute widows, who were their relatives. So it was, belie- it was believed that if one owed s- that you owed support to your elders, you needed to do that. So look how we got to take care of our own. Because how bad does it look when society is taking better care of our families, our Christian families? You know, they're taking better care of their families than we are. You know what I'm saying? And how. How loving your family well can actually point people back to Jesus. They're, you're redeeming the family life. That's what Jesus came to do is redeem life. We can do this. Even people who didn't care about God love their family. So how much more should we love ours? Uh, it's sometimes really hard, though. You guys know this. It's, it's easy to overlook this and minister to like 
other people, go and love on other people, like go to a different country, go to a different town, go to a different city when you've got your own family in here to take care of and love because they know every detail about you. They can bring everything up. But here's the thing. It comes from experience. I've done this, and I've gotten my heart broke by it later on in life. It's been, it just, like, you know, it's like having a conversation with a guy, and um, you leave that conversation, you're like, man, that guy's a great guy. And then the next day, you go and have a conversation with his kids and his wife, and you're like, totally different person. Wow, I can understand why you're really frustrated. And it, it's, it, I don't understand. It's, uh, it's kind of like this. Um, some of us uh, are wired one of two ways, probably. We, we're really good at delight. Like, we are wired to delight in our spouse or our significant other or our kids. Like, we just love being around them, and time doesn't matter. And, you know, we can kind of, it's just, you know, I just love you, that kind of thing, that kind of attitude. And the other side of it is, like, some of us are really good at duty. Like feelings are the last line of defense for us. We don't ever want to talk about it. And we just kind of get through life. I put a ring on your finger, but, you know, that's as far as we're going to get. Like, don't, you know, I'm going to provide for you, but this relationship thing, you know, you're stuck with me. You know, kind of, kind of like that. But I think there needs to be a tension. We need to live in the balance. Like we got to be somewhere in the middle. And when we're aware of that, we can kind of swing back and forth. Like, okay, like, I've delighted a little too much. I need to start doing my job here as, as a father, as a parent, as a dad. You know, that kind of thing. Or, man, I understand looking back at life, man, there's, there is no delight in you at all. And that's just, it's just a scary place to be. So let's live in that tension. Am I doing this really? Am I doing it right? Am I really doing it right? Um, so we should be somewhere in the middle. And, that's where, like, this idea of, like, make life count. Live in that tension. Love your family. Like I said, love your family because it's your family. And, you know, we talked about Christian or non-Christians looking at you and saying, you know, how are they acting, reacting? Your kids are doing the same thing. When stuff happens, when the storms of life hit, what happens? How do you react? What happens? They're looking at you. Don't waste your life. This responsibility starts in our home. And I think, honestly, if, our, if men would start making life count more, I think our problems for our whole family, women and children, would probably start to downtrend and probably go away faster. Number four, we'll get out of here quick, I promise. <clears throat> Connect with culture. You know, this is the biggest, this is just like a huge thing for me. Um, you know, if, we're, if I'm only reading Christian literature, if I'm only watching Christian TV, if I'm only listening to Christian radio, am I really connected with non-Christian people? Am I really living in their world? It doesn't mean I have to like it. It just means, like, do I even understand what they're about? Are they going to understand me when I'm, you know, using Christian language the whole time? Do they get it? I've got to... I've got to understand what's going on in their life, too. I've got to be knowledgeable about it. It doesn't mean I have to like it. You know, some of us are just like, I admit, I missed the bus. My kids are out, and I stopped, you know, even watching TV or hanging out with other people. I've just, I've lived life, and I'm done. I'm on the couch for, to the end. I'm done. Some of us are like that. But um, here's the thing. Uh, uh, Christ came to redeem the culture. He came to redeem everything. 
So, so if we're Christ's image bearers, if we're made in his image, uh, let's, let's go do that. Let's redeem the culture. And this is what I mean. In Acts 17 through 20, I don't have it up, but if you want to go back and read it, um, we go back. Jesus and the Apostle Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, he, he, he quotes Bible scripture all the time, but he also goes through these towns and these cities, and he's quoting pagan cults, myths, religions, statues, engravings, and saying things like, your own gods, they're all false, your own philosophers, your own priests, they say this, they're false, but here's the thing. They're asking great questions. Questions that sometimes the church is afraid to ask. So let's, let's look at the, the climate, the culture, what's going on around us. What are people caring about? What are my kids caring about? What is, what's, what's going on in life? And let's find a way to point that back to Jesus. Communicate that back to to Jesus. It, it's kind of like this. I, honestly, moving back to Sioux City, it's not my first choice, but I feel like this is where God wants me, so I'm going to move back to Sioux City, and I'm not real, a, really a big fan of the uh, Z98 culture, as I would call it. Like, I get, you know, kind of worn out after listening to all these 80s hair bands on the radio, right? You guys know what I'm saying? No? You don't listen to the radio? Okay. Anyways, that's all I hear. And what was really funny is I, I complain about it all the time. That's why I don't even hardly try to listen to the radio. I just put my, my iPod on or my iPhone. And, um, but the other night, guess who came to town at the Hard Rock? Slaughter. You, you don't know. You don't know? They sing a song called, Up all night. Sleep all day. It's awful. And it gets stuck in your head, and, you're, and then your three-year-old starts singing it. It's terrible. Um, and then she's up all night and actually does sleep all day, and it messes everything up. But um, anyways, uh, I, got a, I got a call from a friend. He said, hey, man, I got an extra ticket to slaughter. You want to go? I'm like, really? Slaughter? Like, you couldn't? <clears throat> I reluctantly said, sure, let's go. And so I decided to go, and... You know, 80s hair bands, like I said, aren't really my thing, but I'll go see my friend. And, you know, I could have resisted. I could have made up every excuse in the book. I could have said, you know, the people in there, they're not really my people, and there's stuff in there that I probably shouldn't, you know, be associated with, that kind of thing. You know, I could have said that, but for some reason, something in me said, you just need to go and see this guy. And uh, I knew that these people, obviously, you know, slaughter is not going to care about what Christians think. But I'll go in there, and guess who opened for them? Autograph. You know autograph? No? Oh, man. You guys are from here, and you don't know these 80s hair bands? It, it would be, uh, turn up the radio. And so that's blaring. And my friend leans over to me while... Turn up the radio is going. He said, hey, the real reason I invited you here is because I have some questions about Jesus. I said, really? I thought it was just because this band is stinking awesome. You know, I had no idea. And so I go and we had, that, we had an opportunity to actually redeem our time there. I didn't go there to listen to some crummy 80s hair band. I went there because my friend was there, and all of a sudden he wanted to have a conversation about who Jesus was and what he meant to him. It was insane. It's like one of the coolest feelings ever is showing up to an 80s hair band and screaming about Jesus over turn up the radio. It was, it was crazy. 
And, and I think that's kind of the attitude we should have. Let's, let's, use, let's use these things that culture is deeming important and point them back to God. Point them back to God. Let's not always just be up in arms about how crappy things are going or, you know, whatever's happened in life. Let's actually use that and say, let's think strategically and say, okay, this happened. This is what's going on in life. This is the music that's playing. Even though it's 80s hair bands, I can deal with it. And we're going to use this stuff to point people back to Jesus, whatever it looks like. doesn't mean you have to like it. doesn't mean you have to live in it. But at some point... Uh, we've got to use that stuff because that's what the world is giving everybody else. That's what they're, they're tuned into. We've got to use it to point people back to him. So I just want to leave you with this quote by John Ortberg. He's a pastor. He says, Biblically, waiting is, because that's what we're doing until, until Jesus comes back. Waiting is not something we have to do until we get what we want. Waiting is a part of the process of, be, of becoming who God wants to be. So when we take these steps towards God, even though they might not feel spiritual or they not, may not be the most popular of decisions or maybe they're the most monotonous things, we're becoming more like God when we do them. You guys pray with me. Father God, uh, I thank you for this time. I thank you for this church. I thank you for these people, Lord. Um, Lord, I just pray that until we, until we die or you come back, that we wouldn't sit idly by and let outside voices influence our kids, influence our family. Lord, that we'd be credible individuals, not just because it looks good and we're shining ourselves up, but because you care about it. And when people know that um, we care about you and we care about them, you know, that's a home run. We want to do that, Lord. Help us to be obedient to, to what you're calling us to, what you're calling us into, uh, to really loving you and loving people the way you want us to. I pray that you use this church, you use us in a mighty way to influence culture to influence people, uh, whatever that may be, Lord. I just pray that everything might be on the table, that we create, we would we'd think and, and be creative and strategic when we're trying to, to reach out to people, Lord. Help us to not just be so offended, because I get offended by some stuff, Lord, and I just pray that you would just uh, speak to us in those moments saying, hey, it's okay. I'm, you're still mine. Everything's going to be okay, Lord. And I just, just pray that you... Keep echoing that into our brains as we go out and live life until you come back. Pray this in your name. Amen.